All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by Benjamin Garlson and Brian Wells. This week is the finale of our 2019 NFL season preview series. We will wrap it up by discussing the AFC West and NFC West divisions. Did the Chiefs offseason improve their chances of continuing their division reign? Are the 49ers now part of a three-team race with the Rams and the Seahawks? We answer those questions and more in the last of our four-part series. But before we preview the two West divisions, we talk about Andrew Luck's stunning retirement. Finally, we'll wrap up today's show by counting down our favorite football players from TV shows and movies in today's top five. So this is the fourth part of our four-part divisional series. Uh, today we'll be talking about the AFC West and the NFC West. Uh, in the, the past few weeks, we've already covered the East, North, and South divisions. So if you haven't listened to any of those, go back and give them a listen. Uh, we have a lot of fun stuff to say about the other divisions in the NFL, and it'd be great if you can get caught up with all of our opinions across the league. But keep in mind, if you do go back and listen to the AFC South preview from last week now, that we recorded that before Saturday night, before Andrew Luck made his announcement that he is retiring from the NFL, and that is where we begin today's show, as the Colts quarterback, just 29 years old, only six seasons in the league, announced that he is retiring from the NFL and I'm sure that you guys agree that initially we were very, very surprised to hear this news. Yeah, I, uh, it's, I don't know. It's disappointing, but at this point, um, we've seen this before. I, I remember back when Patrick Willis uh, retired early, and that one directly affected me uh, as a Niners fan. Uh, but the, it would kind of overshadowed what also happened that season. I guess maybe it didn't overshadow it, but something you may have forgotten was the retirement of Chris Borland that very same season. A promising young rookie who came in in relief of Patrick Willis. Patrick Willis had turf toe all season, which sounds like such a silly injury, but it, it's quite serious. Chris Borland came in, got one concussion, and said, oh no, <laughs> oh no, this is not for me. So I quit, even though he's... He looked amazing. He was one of the leading tacklers on the team, even though he only played uh, while Patrick Willis was out. So that was years ago. What was that? 20... 2014. 14? Yeah, I believe it was 2014. And it was during the 49ers collapse. And now we're seeing it. Even players like Andrew Luck aren't immune to deciding I'd rather live a normal life or close to a normal life instead of continuing to destroy my body for football. Yeah, I think Jacoby Brissett is a capable capable backup, but regardless, I think I think Luck just had enough, and I I think he just didn't want to be the human pinata of of the league anymore. And I think it sucks that someone as good as Andrew Luck is uh, 
his career is now over at 29 and and I, I would I think pretty much all the blame goes to Ryan Grigson for not surrounding him with enough enough talent on the offensive line or receivers and I also hate how the story got leaked out as well the the fact that Andrew Luck was on the sidelines in a Colts preseason game when the story got leaked out of him officially retiring and I don't blame the fans for booing just because you have a team that's on the rise. You have a finally a good O-line and defense. And you're one of the favorites in the AFC after the Patriots and Chiefs to make it to the Super Bowl. But, I mean, it, it's just off. It just sucks how it happened. But, I mean, I don't put the Colts fans in the same category as, like, the Raptors fans booing Durant or, or the Chiefs fans cheering on Matt Castle when he got injured. Uh, but I do, I do hate it though when someone like Dan Dockich comes out on Twitter and his radio show and says, "Oh, I told, I told you guys he wasn't going to live up to Peyton Manning." I mean, oh, I, I just, yeah, a top ten quarterback. I mean, that's that's a real hot take. Congratulations, Dan. I mean, I mean, I, if, as a Patriots fan, I'm not going to be like, if if Jimmy Garoppolo were to get another major injury and he he all of a sudden retires, I'm not going to be like, "Oh, I told you guys he he wasn't going to live up to Tom Brady." That's just it's just dumb how he, he's been handling the situation. So well. I, I do want to get into the media aspect of this in a little bit in terms of some of the following out. Uh, and Ben, you had talked about there are other guys who have retired early. And in the days since, I've kind of been able to process and understand why Andrew Luck retired. But when we were recording last week, we were talking about Luck. We were talking about his injury. We were talking about some of the questions. When is he going to come back? Is he going to miss a couple of games? How much are the Colts going to have to rely on Jacoby Brissett this season? How will that affect them in the AFC South? None of us even mentioned the words retirement. And to me, I think that was, that's just the big surprise is like the fact that at 29 years old, he just came out and decided to hang it up. And it was not something that anyone saw coming. And in terms of the Colts now, I, I think that Jacoby Brissett is a capable backup, something that you would mention, Brian. But... This definitely sends some shockwaves through the rest of the AFC, and I, I don't know if this uh, any kind of Super Bowl aspirations the Colts had. It seems like they're shot. Yeah, I agree. Even though the team around Jacoby Brissett is better than it ever has been, it's still difficult to see him even getting close to the expectations we had for Luck. And and honestly, again, I, I, like we're talking about like this surprise versus disappointment on Andrew Luck's decision. And um, it is surprising that he would ever decide to give up uh, just because at this point he's gotten so many injuries and just gone through it. Andrew Luck is a real, he's a real stand up guy. Uh, everyone who's ever met him is only says nice things about him. And he even, when he gets tackled, he says, thank you. So <laughs> Everything is going for this guy to take as much punishment as necessary for this franchise. Uh, so, yeah, I, that was really, really surprising. Um, but honestly, whatever your take is on Andrew Luck's legacy, I, I think all of these players deserve to make their own decisions and choose when their time is up. Um, I was actually, when going through this, I looked up uh, Arian Foster's interview on the Joe Rogan podcast, and he had... Out like really harsh words uh, for the NFL because he was just talking about because he's an undrafted free agent so he had no spot on the team really he had to prove himself every step of the way until he got paid and 
he was talking about how he broke his collarbone week three and he was like, oh yeah, I just decided I didn't care about pain anymore. So, cause I could keep playing and it's absolutely brutal. I, I couldn't imagine doing that. If I had a broken collarbone, you'd hardly see me get anything done. I'd make every excuse not to, not to move, let alone play football. So these guys are out there being warriors. Andrew Luck has been out there while injured and, and gotten things done. So I, I think he's got nothing left to prove. If his, if his body isn't able to keep up with, uh, with, the wear and tear of the NFL, then that should be his choice to walk away. Yeah, football players are not, they're not gladiators and it's not the Roman Coliseum. I mean, like even Gronk the other day had his press conference about his retirement and it's probably very similar to Andrew Luck's situation where he talked about how he just completely lost his joy in the game and and I, I think Andrew Luck, it's the same case where he's been in the league for seven years now or yeah he was in the league for seven eight years and and even though his team was on the rise he he just had enough and I don't blame him and and it's again it's it's awful that someone as much potential as he had is now gone I I absolutely respect Luck's decision and I I just don't agree with any of the takes about the timing of it Andrew Luck wasn't injured back in March during free agency April during the draft the Colts this wasn't something that he had been planning the entire offseason. It was just something that he he suffers another injury, and all of a sudden it seems like he's not going to be able to start the season. He's like, I've gone through all this pain. I've gone through all this suffering. He said that his him missing the entire 2017 season because of an injury saved his marriage because he had just given so much of his life to football that he wasn't able to uh, spend as much time with his wife and uh, – have that those kind of meaningful outside of football relationships he's a guy who was a number one overall pick in the draft he had a a great college career at Sanford which is a phenomenal school we know he's a big architecture guy he he definitely has the opportunity he has aspirations off the field from here yeah 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 and he's made a ton of money he's walking away from some but the Colts are still honoring part of his contract uh, so to me it, it makes sense knowing what luck has been through, why he came to this decision. And from here, it's just the Colts need to figure it out. And they have the one of the more talented rosters in the league. The team that Jacoby Brissett led two years ago is far inferior to the one they have now. So I think that they could definitely still win this AFC South division. I think it's still wide open and the Colts are still in play. In terms of the Super Bowl, I don't think so. But for Colts fans booing, I kind of get it. I understand the heat of the moment, but I know that deep down it's something that it's just an initial shock and everyone realizes what luck has done for that team. And I think that a lot of people are going to respect this decision going forward, even though some of the immediate aftermath had a lot of doubters. So how did everyone know for sure in the stadium? They probably saw it on their smartphones and, and were probably... They probably got calls and texts from all their friends, and then they looked through their phones. So and, people yeah. in the stands were like, "Well, because I don't know. I've been to NFL games. I don't. I don't know where was this game. Was it in it was Indianapolis? In Indianapolis. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys know if they have Wi-Fi repeaters in that stadium? I, I know it's a really specific question, but like when I went to when I went to see the Falcons Niners game in Atlanta uh, before they got their new stadium, you couldn't use your phone in there. It was terrible. Like you, if you wanted information, you couldn't have it. I was playing fantasy and I was like, what's the score? Um, but when I went to like Levi stadium to see the Niners play there, uh, you know, in December, I 
could use my phone. So I don't know if, because what I was thinking is maybe Andrew Luck's just walking off the field and they're like, we wanted him to play. Boo. <laughs> no, no. Well, okay. So, so, so it's confirmed that they all knew they're like, we know he's retiring. Boo this man. Yeah. Or was it, or was it like, a? I don't know. Was it misunderstanding? Maybe, maybe it was more of a, a, maybe it was more catchy of a, headline. Maybe it was more of a boo to the fact that they already got their season tickets. Maybe some of them did and they can't get a refund. Well, how did they all know? How did they all know? Do we know? Okay, so here, I'll tell you how I found out. So Saturday night, I'm playing Madden. I'm not playing on my phone. I'm somewhat shut off from the outside world. Every now and then I'll look down and I'll see some notifications, whether it's text, Snapchats, work emails, and I'll maybe pay attention to it, maybe not. I get an NFL mobile update saying Andrew Luck is retiring, and immediately I pause the game. I'm like, what is going on? I'm going through Twitter, and that was me understanding it. So whether or not the fans could actually get through the reception, I'm sure that some of them were able to, and I'm sure plenty of them got actual notifications, and that was all they needed to have the word spread around. So there's no doubt in my mind that the fans who were booing Andrew Luck knew that he had announced his retirement. And the reason why it came out, so Andrew Luck... So here's here's what happened. Somehow, Adam Schefter finds out. He's the first one to report it. He tweets out, Andrew Luck is retiring. And then all the words start spreading. Other reporters pick it up, and they run with the story. <laughs> and then after the game, Andrew, Adam Schefter tweets out, uh, Andrew Luck was originally going to plan uh, to tell his teammates on Sunday after the game, but his time late timeline got messed up and he had to tell him sooner it was like that was completely on adam schefter having to be the first one to break this news and that was what led to everything saturday night andrew luck being on the sideline for a football game retired right so because to me it just seemed like a bad situation who the heck retires like mid preseason game like, that's so weird uh, like I mean, Vontae it's, I, I, davis retired at halftime of a regular season game <laughs> Right. But no one is saying that that's a normal thing to do. It's uh, it's it just seemed like weird timing, especially for such an important or special player, um, especially with such a huge impact on the franchise. It's like, oh, yeah, like, by the way, hey, fans in the stand, I hope you can hear me over the game. I'm retiring. This is the this is the best way I could think of announcing it. Doesn't that's that, that, not the best. Uh, it doesn't sound realistic. Yeah, and half of them are probably in Andrew Luck jerseys as they're watching the game and finding out on their phone that he's done. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine how I would feel if I was a cold season ticket holder in that stadium watching a meaningless preseason game and find out that the star quarterback who I think is going to lead our team deep in the playoffs this year retired. So I kind of understand the heat of the moment aspect of it. But yeah, it was just very much word got out and so it, made for a really awkward situation at Lucas Oil Stadium on Saturday night. Yeah, I don't totally blame the fans in the moment. I, But yeah, it's not a good look, of course. Yeah, so we'll see if the fans have anything to cheer for this year. I think that they, they certainly should still have some optimism heading into the season. Uh, but definitely a surprise news, and uh, that has probably the biggest news of the preseason to this point. So... Let's uh, wrap up this Andrew Luck talk and move on to our West Divisional previews for this week, starting with the AFC West. So, Kansas City Chiefs have won this division three years in a row. They made the playoffs as a wild card in 2015. They've won the division in 2016, 2017, 2018. They're looking to make it four in a row this year. Last season, they went to the AFC Championship game. They were the number one seed in the AFC 
dynamic offense. Patrick Mahomes exploded onto the scene. Defense didn't hold up on their end. They certainly had their moments, but there were a lot of times where the Chiefs really needed to rely on Mahomes putting up the record-setting numbers that he did. So in the offseason, the Chiefs fired the defensive coordinator. They bring in Steve Spagnuolo, and they walk away from some of their veteran defenders and Justin Houston and Eric Berry cutting them. They allow Steven Nelson to leave in free agency and they trade D Ford. On the flip side, they bring in a ton of guys, safety Tyron Matthew. Uh, they trade for Frank Clark and Emmanuel Ogba, both on the defensive line while also signing Alex Okafor and linebacker Damian Wilson. So with all these moves that the Chiefs had made, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, compared to the rest of the division with the Chargers, Broncos, and Raiders also making some moves on their end, do the Chiefs find themselves in better or worse shape in their quest to win the division once again this season? I'm going to say better because we know how great their offense is. They have some of the best playmakers in the game, and even though they lost Kareem Hunt after his situation last year, they still brought in... Uh, Damian Williams to replace him at the end of the year and their offense is still going to be elite but their defense was 31st 32nd in the league last year so there's definitely a clear need for them to improve their defense and they signed Tyron Matthew like you said they signed Alex Okafor and they made that trade for Frank Clark who was uh, definitely a great piece on that Seahawks defense and I'm going to say that they're not, I don't want to say a lot better, but I think they are a little bit better. Um, yeah, I, I don't feel really strongly either way. I think, I mean, it's hard to know what's going to happen when you have this much turnover. Uh, but especially on the defensive side, it wasn't super enviable to begin with. So I think if Frank Clark can be Frank Clark, he can easily replace D Ford's production from last year. And then adding Tyron Matthews, another playmaker in the secondary. And if, you know, honestly, I feel like it's kind of a wash. It potentially could be better, potentially could be worse, probably not. But what's most important is that that offense stays red hot and I have seen no reason why it wouldn't. Uh, so I, I believe the chiefs could at least be in the same position, if not in a better position than they were last year. Uh, the, the one caveat to that I think is talking about the other teams in the division, uh, because I know everyone loves to like make fun of the Raiders and laugh uh, like super hard at every little thing that goes wrong for them. But if you look at John Gruden's history in this league, He's not a bad coach. I know it's been a long time since then, but it's not like as you get older as a coach, your knees wear out and you can't coach as well. You're, it's all about your strategy and being able to run a football organization. And I cannot believe that John Gruden would stay bad for very long. I'm expecting to see the Raiders do much better, at least from a win-loss uh, perspective here. And that could be trouble for the Chiefs. I'm just saying. Last year, the, the Raiders were little more than a road, uh, a bump in the road, and that could be uh, making it harder. Uh, as well as still being in the same division as the Chargers, and I don't know if the Broncos really improved all that much. But I think it would. It's on the rest of the division to be better to stop the Chiefs, as opposed to expecting the Chiefs' offseason moves to make them any worse. So I, I think it's going to be hard for the Chiefs to be better than the 12-4 and 4 record they were, especially knowing how explosive their offense was. But 
at the same time, I think it's even harder for their defense to be worse when they were, like Brian said, I think they were 31st in the league in total yards allowed. They made a ton of moves on defense. They brought in an experienced defensive coordinator. In theory, they're going to be significantly better would get them to middle of the pack. So maybe even if the offense cools down a bit, they don't need to move the ball as uh, quickly and ferociously as it did last season. The chiefs will even out and maybe that's another 12 and four record. Maybe it's 13 and three, maybe it's 11 and five, but I I do think they're going to be a little bit better. And then when I look at the other division uh, or the rest of the division, so Ben, like you said, the Raiders, they are an easy team to make fun of, but I fully expect them to be better than they were last season. And the Broncos, I don't know. Joe Flacco is easy to kind of look past him, given that he was benched by the Ravens last year for Lamar Jackson. But the Broncos, when you look at the other quarterbacks he's going against in Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler, it's it's oh, in Case Keenum, it seems like he's going to be the best quarterback they've had, at least since Peyton Manning retired. And they they made some moves on defense, bringing in uh, two pretty solid corners in Bryce Callahan and Kareem Jackson. So I think Denver is another team who they were six and six last season. Ben, you said they were going to be a playoff team as late as December last year. So I think those are two teams that are going to improve. And I think that uh, that, like you said, they could be there to slow down the Chiefs, the Chargers as well. I think they'll be a little bit worse, especially with Derwin James out most of the season. But for the Chiefs, I. I think they're still good enough to fend off the rest of the teams, and I think that they needed to make changes to the defense to help better their chance of winning the division once again. I think it's going to be pretty sim. I think it's going to be pretty similar in terms of division placement. Even though Ben said that the Raiders' record will be better, I still think they're going to be last in their division, and and I'm, I think Antonio Brown will still be the same from from all the antics he's had in August. I'm sh- I think it's just going to be the same throughout the entire season, and. I think they're still going to be one of the worst teams, not only the worst team in the division, but one of the worst teams in the league. And uh, and again, the Chiefs' offense is still going to be amazing, and the Ch- the Chiefs' defense can't be as worse as last year. And I think just the slight improvement of that, they, I think they should be they should be better. Whether that's being twelve and four, thirteen and three, the one seed or two seed, I think they're going to be right in the mix. All right, so uh, let's. Let's go ahead and talk about a new addition that will have uh, the biggest impact on this division. We've thrown out a few guys there, and Brian, why don't you start off with one you want to highlight? Well, I think I've already repeated it, but I really think Tyron Matthew is going to make the biggest positive impact uh, in this division for the team that has the most aspirations on making a Super Bowl and winning a Super Bowl. Uh, Ever since Eric Berry had that injury several years ago he was never the same and now he's not even really a part of the Chiefs organization anymore and now they bring in Tyron Matthew I have no idea if he's going to be just like he was at LSU and early in his career with the Cardinals but he certainly makes their defense a lot better and so I'm going to go with Tyron Matthew as the biggest as the biggest impact in this division. I'm going to stay with the Chiefs and say that the biggest impact will be Frank Clark uh, because D Ford was inconsistent in Kansas City and it might seem weird to replace him uh, right after he had a like a breakout year. Uh, but with injuries and inconsistent play, like he needed a change of scenery and so did the 
fans of Kansas City. Apparently, D Ford was not super popular before that breakout season. And uh, if Frank Clark can come in and replace or even exceed uh, D Ford's production uh, at, on the edge, he could, his partnership with Chris Jones could be enough to duct tape over whatever problems they're having uh, in their secondary if offseason moves potentially don't work out. And honestly, that's all they need is a line that can get to the quarterback in against the best O-lines, the O-lines they're going to see in the postseason. They get a couple of clutch stops. That could be the difference between the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl and not going to the Super Bowl. In fact, you guys remember when D Ford had that? Uh, That's literally what encroach? I was just about to bring up. It also, yeah, yeah. D Ford costing him uh, a Super Bowl and having Brady ha- having another ring on his Thing. Exactly. Frank Clark uh, could be the difference. Uh, they, they could be in the same situation if Frank Clark will stay put. And uh, that would be huge for the Chiefs. Yeah, so I, I was originally going back and forth between Matthew and Clark in terms of which one I think is going to have the bigger impact. I think they're both going to have huge impacts for Kansas City's defense this year. Uh, like you said, Ben, maybe Clark just being a dominant pass rusher is what the Chiefs secondary needs, but having Matthew back there should certainly help. Uh, so just to kind of stay away from the Chiefs and throw out a different name, how about Joe Flacco for the Denver Broncos? I kind of touched upon it a little bit earlier, but he is... Well, He's the best quarterback they've had in a few years now. And even if you take away uh, Peyton Manning's 2015 season when he was injured and limped his way to a Super Bowl victory, they really haven't had a whole lot of success at that quarterback position in a while. I don't think that Joe Flacco is going to come in and be a pro bowler, but you put him in that Denver altitude. He he is that big arm. He's famous for being able to throw the ball downfield and draw pass interference penalties. I think if he can come in and he has some young receiver talent around him, if everything can come together, that's what it's going to take for Denver to get over the hump and be a playoff team this season. So I'm looking at Joe Flacco. And the highlight of Joe Flacco's career besides winning the Super Bowl versus the Ben's Niners in Super Bowl 47 was leading the Ravens to that big comeback Uh in Denver, in the Mile High mm-hmm. City. So that certainly can repeat itself. Or, or Joe, Joe Flacco can possibly... Uh, Joe Flacco a, defeats the Broncos in Mile High no, City no, once not, again. <laughs> 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 maybe, maybe possibly getting into the playoffs and who knows. Yeah, actually, Joe Flacco's... I mean, as much as a, it's a painful memory, it's not quite as painful today, but it's still painful. Uh, Joe Flacco's postseason run that year rivals some of the best postseason runs ever. Uh, so you know he can be clutch. And uh, let's just see if he can do it for the uh, that orange and blue team. We'll see. And it sounds like Drew Locke could be injured for a lot of this season, so he won't have him uh, breathing down his shoulder trying to get into the game. So... Let's uh, now talk about who or what will determine a successful season for each team in the AFC West. And let's start off with the Denver Broncos. Yeah, I'll go first. I think a successful season for the Broncos is Joe Flacco is a game manager and their defense is elite. And that will be the recipe for winning football games, I think. I'm going to say the same thing because if you look at the past quarterbacks the Broncos have had in their past seasons... Paxton Lynch, Trevor Simeon, Brock Osweiler, even though he had a couple of good moments early in his Broncos career, Manning at injured at the end of his career. They they just had some really bad play. And then Case Keenum last year. I mean, they've had some just really bad QB play for the past several years. So 
if Joe Flacco can, yeah, be that game manager, not turn over the ball, and if the Broncos can not be that elite defense in 15, but just be really good, then they could potentially compete for a wild card. I think the Broncos defense is going to be really good. I don't think they'll be elite. They're not the same as that team that won the Super Bowl. And if you look at the offensive side of the ball, they're going to have to make up for that in some ways. And I think Joe Flacco is a the right guy that could do that for them. But they're really going to need help from that offensive line this year. And I think there's reason to be optimistic about them. So they lose star center Matt Paradis, who was uh, one of the top offensive line in free, in free agency this spring. But they signed Juwan James, right tackle from the Miami Dolphins, to a lot of money. They drafted Dalton Risner, a left guard in the second round, who a lot of people are really high on and think he could be a big impact rookie. And most importantly, they convinced Mike Munchak, after not hiring him as head coach, to leave the Steelers and be their offensive line coach. There's plenty of reason to believe that Munchak was huge in making the Steelers' offensive line what it is today, constantly sending pro bowlers, multiple pro bowlers, every year. And if he can come in and have that same kind of success in Denver, I think that offense will be really good and that defense could be really good. And that could lead to a playoff team once again in the Mile High City. All right. So the next team, the Kansas City Chiefs. Super Bowl or bust. That's really it. I mean, they accomplished. You have to win. Yeah. That's really it. I mean, they accomplished so much last year, especially Mahomes throwing 50, 50 touchdowns. But it's really Super Bowl or bust. There's really not much else to say. Yeah, if, if they're going to get there, it's going to come down to the defense. I don't expect Pat Mahomes to put up quite the same numbers he did last season, and the defense is going to have to make up for a little bit. They were 31st in the league last year, 273 total yards allowed. They got to get better, and they made the move, so we'll see. After clowning the uh, Chiefs for sending Alex Smith to Washington, I'm done doubting Mahomes. It's Super Bowl or bust. All right. So the next team, the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm going to say try to get home field advantage because you, it's really not. It's really going to be tough if you have to go on the road again and try to beat Kansas City or New England, even though they did beat Kansas City on the road in week, I think it was week 15 it was last season. Getting home field advantage for them is just, I think it's just super important for them. Even though the one time that they did have home field advantage, they blew it versus the Patriots. I just think they can't do it all on the road like they had to last season. So try to get home field advantage and win the division over is the Chiefs. The one time you're referencing 2006? I know, but it was the one time that they did get home field <laughs> My God, Corey, how do you remember 2006? That was that was the year LT <laughs> ran for 32 touchdowns and they went 14 and 2. Yeah, you were also 11. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, okay, well, I, I like the way you put that, Brian. You make a good point. Um, it, I think last season, uh, the postseason could have been drastically different if somehow they had home field advantage. I know that wouldn't have really. They have to win their division for that to be an option. But still, if they could have played those playoff games at home, maybe it'd be a different story. So um, I obviously they at least need to go to the playoffs. Obviously, they at least need to win one. Uh, but I think having home field advantage would be the ideal situation and uh, give them the best chance. I, I don't know how much home field advantage truly matters to the Chargers, considering that they are having way more road fans show up to their games regardless. And they also went like eight and one last year outside of LA. 
So I think it was just a bad timing running into the Patriots when they did. So to me, if the, the Chargers going to be successful, like it's going to take getting to the playoffs and having postseason success. And what's going to help them, I think it's going to come to the running game. Melvin Gordon is still holding out. Sounds like he's not going to show up week one. We don't know when he's going to be there. They need whoever steps in, Austin Eckler, Justin Jackson, maybe someone else that they bring in. I think that they need to be able to feel good about themselves this season and say, hey, we're not going to pay Melvin Gordon because we have really good running backs here in place and we can comfortably move on from him and spend that money elsewhere to make this team a Super Bowl contender year after year. And uh, to me, that's that's what's going to really determine their success is can they bring in guys who can fill that void or can they convince Gordon to show up and he plays at the Pro Bowl level he's capable of? All right, so the last team, the Oakland Raiders. Okay, I think one thing, like the bare minimum that they need for a successful season is for Antonio Brown to play as advertised. There has been such a media circus around this man and... If he shows up and plays like less than a thousand yard season or just anything outside of playing like an elite wide receiver, then I, regardless of everything else, you got to be disappointed because he's getting paid so much money and being such a media circus. He has to be worth it on the field. Just prove that the Raiders can be not a total disaster. Prove that that you could be a good coach in the league and not seem interested like you want to you know, just seem interested in wanting to be a coach for the Raiders and especially since they're moving to Vegas pretty soon. So as long as you're not a complete joke, that's really what it is because they're not going to finish very high in their division. I definitely consider this a year to showcase what they will bring to Las Vegas next year. And I think the biggest question you look at the roster is, will that team include Derek Carr? And he's going to be a big part of the Oakland Raiders success. We saw him have pretty good success in 2016. He got injured and he hasn't been the same since. If Carr can have a connection with Antonio Brown, somewhat like Antonio Brown had with Ben Roethlisberger, and he can lead this team, then I think Oakland has the potential to surprise some people. But if we're seeing Nathan Peterman at quarterback by the end of the season, then that's going to be the end of Derek Carr. And I think that tells you all we need to know about how well or not well the Oakland Raiders season went anyone who gets replaced by Nathan Peterman they they should just quit I mean given how bad we've seen Nathan Peterman in in it would not surprise me at all just given what John Gruden has been saying about Peterman this offseason and the way that he's played in some preseason games Uh, but it it certainly would not be a good look for the Raiders to have him starting multiple games for them when they're trying to be competitive next year in Las Vegas. All right, so that will wrap things up for the AFC West, and now we can move on to the NFC West. So, last season, the Los Angeles Rams won the division for the second year in a row. They went to the Super Bowl. They won 13 games, and there's no reason to believe that the Rams don't still have the talent to be a force in the NFC, particularly in the NFC West, once again. The Seattle Seahawks are the team that, uh, for the long time, we've been used to seeing them at the top of the division. They 
of course, won the Super Bowl and went back to the Super Bowl in 2013 and 2014. Last season, they got off to a slow start at four and four after missing the or four and five after missing the playoffs the year before, and then they won six of the last seven to get back into the postseason. So, after the Rams and the Seahawks, there was a pretty significant drop off. Now, if even if this is your first time listening to He's Done It, you probably know that Ben is a 49ers fan just based on the cover art of this uh, podcast. So Ben will be the first to tell you that last season did not go as expected for the 49ers after Jimmy Garoppolo led them to a 5-0 record at the end of 2017. There was a lot of reason to be hopeful about San Francisco's chances in 2018. Of course, Garoppolo tears his ACL in Week 3, more injuries hit, the defense does not live up to expectation at all, and the 49ers end up with the second-worst record in the NFL. This offseason, San Francisco made a few changes, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, looking to bring in some talent. Garoppolo is healthy again. So, does what they've done this offseason leave the 49ers as a legitimate threat to the Rams and the Seahawks and make the NFC West a true three-team race in 2019. All right, so I'm glad you addressed the Rams and Seahawks uh, a little bit because uh, it's important to understand who the Niners are going up against this year. The Seahawks are not who they once were, like you said. Trusting Russell Wilson to will you into the into the postseason is a decent strategy but we know it doesn't work 100% of the time and it does help when he has a supporting cast uh, of talented players and that and that group has been getting smaller and smaller as they end up having to pay these guys Um, meanwhile the Rams they're on a Super Bowl hangover okay and I trust I I I trust Jared Goff to let that affect his game uh, substantially so we'll see what they actually come out with uh, but the super hangover is a real thing and also Todd Gurley ha- uh, suffering all those injuries last year and becoming way less effective in the postseason I don't think the Rams want a repeat of that I think that they're going to be having him on a snap count in the regular season and that could mess up that mojo on their offense I mean CJ Anderson was able to plug and play pretty well uh in Todd Gurley so that might be even more reason for them to let Todd Gurley have some time off that they could get another running back going but but things are changing for the Rams for the 49ers the defense has improved and I (laughs) hope this is true But they added another pair of first-round defensive linemen, bringing the total to five first-round defensive linemen on this team. Your DBs do not have to be as good if the opposing quarterback can't throw the ball, okay? This is a... Whether you like it or not, you have to admit I'm spitting straight facts, okay? (laughs) Outside of Richard Sherman, this group is still largely unproven, but with a lot of potential. Every season we say this, we're just waiting for somebody to break out. Okay. Uh, if, but more importantly, on the offensive side, if Jimbo can play ball like he did in 2017 and not like in 2018, I know that it's easy to be like, oh, this year, that year doesn't count because he got injured. He was not as, he was not as good. He was not as good. He, it was very worrying what we saw from Jimmy while he was healthy in 2018. If he can play like 2017, then there's absolutely no reason to believe the 49ers can't be a threat. The wide receiver position is deeper than. It has been in years since since Michael Crabtree was on this team with Dante Pettis leading the young group. But, you know, a rookie Debo Samuels out there. Jalen Hurd has, has uh, impressed in the preseason. There are Trent Taylor is back. 
And none of these guys can even, uh, you know, shake a finger at the real receiving threat, elite receiving tight end George Kittle. The running back room is absolutely crowded with Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida, and Jarek McKinnon all fighting for snaps, although it's looking more and more likely like Jarek McKinnon is never going to play a snap in a 49ers uniform. Uh, more news is breaking today. I wrote this last night. But <laughs> Jarek McKinnon, potentially, uh, if he does play, is a hel- is a good running back. The only problem is the offensive line, which had a lot of trouble staying healthy last season. And we'll have to see if they've improved. Uh, I mean, the, the tackle positions are solid, which are two of the most important pieces to have. But it's up to that group to protect Jimmy. And if he's playing his game, I think the Niners are a threat. Yeah, what he said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you kind of sold a spotlight with (laughs) that long monologue. (laughs) I I guess just to kind of do it. Yeah, hey, that's your team. No one is going to complain about it. Just to kind of talk about some of the guys, specifically you said they brought in two more first-round defensive linemen. That's Nick Bosa, who was a second overall pick in the draft, and D. Ford, the guy we were just talking about. They were the team that brought him over from Kansas City to add to a defensive line that already includes former first-round picks in Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas, and DeForest Buckner. DeForest Buckner, most slept on elite defensive lineman in the in the entire league. Didn't even make the NFL's top 100, which means even his peers are sleeping on him. The, the 90s defensive line is going to be really good this year. Uh, when you talk about the secondary, yeah, they have Richard Sherman. He had some injury issues last year. His health is going to be important. On the other side, they, they did bring in Jason Verrett, who he hasn't been able to stay healthy in recent years. So considering that he's on the 49ers and they have those injury history uh, year after year, I don't know if we can believe that this is a year that he's healthy, but there may be some reason to believe that he could have a positive effect on that secondary. Tevin Coleman, that's a big running back, especially without Jarek McKinnon. Just to see what he was able to do for the Falcons last year, I think that tandem with him and Matt Breida, they could have a really good offense. And then Jimmy G, he looked great in 2017. And like you said, small sample size, he was not that good in 2018. If Jimmy G stays healthy last year, I'm not sure that the 49ers avoid 10 losses, uh, just given the way that the team played at times. And uh, Nick Mullins looked okay as a, the fill-in quarterback, and that only got them to four wins. So to me, I think it's going to take a lot of improvement. But the Rams, Super Bowl hangover, like you said, it would not surprise me at all if they have that curse of the Super Bowl losing team. Hasn't really affected too many teams this decade. The Carolina Panthers are a recent exception, going 6-10 and 10 after losing the Super Bowl in 2015. But... I when I look at the Seattle Seahawks, that's kind of where I'm thinking that the 49ers really have a chance to jump Uh, outside of Russell Wilson. They didn't really make I guess paying Russell Wilson was their big move of the offseason. They didn't really do a whole lot to improve that team. They lost Earl Thomas, who I know he was hurt most of last season anyway. But I think there's a lot of question marks in terms of how Seattle can get back to 10 wins this year. So it seems like there is a legitimate path for San Francisco to get in the playoffs. And I would go as far as saying I expect them to be at least a wild card this season. I'm not going to go that far, but I definitely do think that the Niners can compete for a playoff spot. I don't think they're going to win the division. I think the Rams are definitely going to win the division. But I think that, you know, adding Garoppolo, of course, back with their team 
is definitely going to help. And I think they have one of the most underrated receiving cores in the in the whole league. Uh, I think the connection that Garoppolo and Marquise Goodwin had two years ago was awesome. And if Garoppolo can stay healthy for all 16 games, I think Marquise Goodwin is is due for a bounce back year. Kendrick Bourne is definitely a solid receiver as well. Trent Taylor is pretty good slot guy as well. And then, of course, Kittle and Bits, you know, the GOAT at tight end is definitely a, a huge part of their offense. So, and of course, adding Nick Bosa, uh, dra- drafting him at two overall is, of course, going to help their D-line. So I can see them, I don't know if they'll make up the playoffs, but I definitely can see them competing for uh, a playoff spot and maybe going eight and eight, nine and seven. Don't forget about Debo. In that receiving core. That's right. I'm excited That's to right. see what he does. Second round pick <laughs> no, for the Niners. That's the thing about the Niners. It's why uh, it's why it's hard to invest in them in fantasy is because there's so many solid like potential options uh, from in the from even running backs, but also just the receivers. Like you don't know who's going to be the main guy. <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, even right now they're they're making cuts. Nobody knows who they're going to cut from the wide receiver group because we have too many wide receivers, but nobody wants to let go of any of them. They're like, oh, but they're all good at something. Uh, and they, so whoever gets that opportunity, hopefully they take full advantage. But uh, it might not be just one guy. One, one week it might be Debo. One week it might and be And Dante Pettis. Pettis. And I forgot another guy on their offense. Pe- yeah, Pettis, from a talent perspective, from like a expectations perspective he should be that guy but i wouldn't be surprised if there are weeks many weeks where it's somebody else who just happened to be the open receiver so uh lots of threats we'll see yeah and like you said they still have george kittle who may be the best <laughs> tight end in the league so if all else may- fails, wait hold on maybe they can rely he on is. him he is the best yeah that's not a question. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I love this. No no disrespect to Zach Ertz and Travis Kelsey, but I agree with you, Brian. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Kittle's yeah, the best. Yeah, Kittle over everyone. Yeah. All right. So now let's uh, talk about a new addition that will have the biggest impact on the NFC West. And Ben, we'll let you start off here. Okay. Can I say Jimmy? Does that count adding him back uh, to this division? You know, you can maybe say he's a comeback player, but he's not. He, he's been on the team for quite some time now. Okay, fair enough. Then Kyler Murray. I am low-key scared of Kyler Murray. And whether it's this season or next season or two seasons from now, I believe this kid is going to play some amazing football. Um, and that Cardinals team is spiraling out of control, uh, especially when they kept ex- just waiting on Josh Rosen to become good. Uh, so I think adding a legit number one threat, a guy who can run and throw the football, uh, I, I it's the definition of turning your franchise around. Uh, so I, I don't know if you, it's hard to find a player that makes a bigger impact than that. Uh, so I think the biggest addition this season has got to be Kyler Murray for the Cardinals. I was going to say Kyler Murray, but I'll go with a backup. And I'll go with someone on Ben's Niners team. And it's kind of an obvious one, but uh, the Niners defense really hasn't been that great ever since they lost Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis. And I think having Nick Bosa on their D-line is going to be huge for their defense. So I will go with Nick Bosa. And Murray and Bosa were my top two choices. I think we didn't talk about the Cardinals a lot, but like you said, Ben, Kyler Murray is a special kind of player. And if he can come in and lead this Cardinals, maybe not to playoff uh, threatening, but make them look like a team that they weren't last year. And that's someone who can 
compete on the offensive side of the football, then I think Kyler Murray would be huge. 49ers had so many additions that it's hard to choose one of them. Bosa seems like a strong one. But look at the Seahawks. Their biggest signing was, I don't know, Mike Uapati on the offensive line. The Rams brought in Eric Weddle and Clay Matthews, but I think both of those guys are over the hill. So I, I'm not going to add a new one here. I think Murray and Nick Bosa, the number one and the number two overall pick to two teams that were really bad, and they're starving for someone who can be a game changer. They drafted them in those spots for a reason. I think those two are going to have the biggest impact on this division. Yeah, I agree. I think it's those two by a landslide. And yeah, like you said, Corey, that the Rams... They added Weddle and Matthews, but they're both, they're definitely at the back nine of, nines of their careers. So it's it's Murray and Bosa by a landslide. Okay, so uh, finally, let's wrap up the NFC West Division preview by talking about who or what will determine a successful season for each team. And let's start off with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I'm going to say Kyler Murray ter- changing their offense and and. Their O-line just improving even just a little bit because their O-line really isn't that great. And even David Johnson's had a couple bad years in a row. One, of course, because of injury, but even last year he wasn't as great. And I think a lot of that had to do with the offensive line and and not having great quarterback play. Even though I don't blame Rosen totally because I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that his offensive line and coaching staff wasn't that great. They got a new coach in Cliff Kingsbury. I w- so I would say... Kyler Murray changing their offense and helping them win some games. Yeah, I I think it mostly centers around Kyler Murray. Just have a healthy rookie season. Get used to the speed of the NFL. Show that you belong here. Uh, Get more comfortable with young, talented wide receiver Christian Kirk. Let him learn under Larry Fitzgerald while he still can. Don't let David Johnson get hurt and, uh, you know, build for the future. So in 2018, the Cardinals moved up in the draft to select Josh Rosen to be their franchise quarterback. After a terrible first year, they fire Steve Wilkes. They hire Cliff Kingsbury to come in and lead this team. And he made it clear as the coach at Texas Tech that he is a huge fan of Kyler Murray. And what does he do? He takes Murray first overall and trades Rosen, a guy that his team invested in, just 365 days earlier in the draft. And to me, I think a successful season for the Cardinals is having confidence that they made the right decision after just one year because there are going to be another big batch of quarterbacks that are going to be available in the draft. And there should be no reason that Arizona should be even thinking about taking one of them. They should have confidence that they made the right choice by handing the keys of the franchise to Kyler Murray and seeing what he can do. All right, so the next team, the Los Angeles Rams, the defending NFC champions. Super Bowl or bust, I mean, but I also think they need to stay healthy, which which is, of course, pretty hard to do, but not having Cooper Cup in the Super Bowl and a really ineffective Todd Gurley uh, cost them their cost them a chance of winning a Super Bowl last season. So try to stay healthy as possible. And and yeah, that's really it. Super Bowl or bust and try to stay healthy. Yeah, totally agree. Run it back. Keep Todd Gurley healthy this time and hope that it's not the Patriots that you run up against in the Super Bowl or the Chiefs. <laughs> Maybe the Chiefs. I don't know. That shootout was freaking awesome. One of the best football games I've ever seen. Um, so that would be awesome to see in the Super Bowl. But yeah, they got to run it back. 
And if, if the Rams are going to get there, it's going to have to start right away in the season. They need to come out to a hot start in 2019 because there are a lot of people looking at that team that lost the Super Bowl last year and they're questioning Sean McVay. They're questioning Jared Goff. They're questioning that team as a whole. And if they come out and struggle and all of a sudden San Francisco, Seattle, Arizona are more than just threats to them winning the division and the Rams are looking like they might even struggle to get to the playoffs, then that is a horrible season. But if they can come out, they can win six of their first seven games. They don't maybe don't need to go, what is it, like 9-1 and one they started last year. They don't need to do that. But if they can get somewhere close to that and show that they're still one of the best teams in the NFC, they're still a Super Bowl threat, and they are a team that we should be saying the Rams are going to go back to the Super Bowl, then I think that will go a long way with having a full season of success. And it's going to be those, those first few games, those, that first month or two of the season, they need to come out and put everything that from the end of last season behind them. All right, so the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I'll go first with my um, head in the cloud ideas. Uh, full season of Jimmy. I think that's a minimum. You got to have a full season of Jimmy. You invested so much money in this guy, can't keep paying him to be on an injured reserve. And the playoffs. I think the Niners can be a wild card this year. If uh, everything I believe is true, then we should see them playing in the postseason. If they can even play, I call it a hugely successful year. Pretty much everything Ben said. Have a full season of Jimmy. Try to make the playoffs. Have Jimmy not be in the news for banging porn stars. Just stay out. If we make the playoffs, he can bang all the porn stars he <laughs> wants, dude. I I don't care. I care about what happens on the field. So stay healthy. You know, stay safe yeah, but what, with those porn stars. What, yeah. What what, and then, what? What if that causes him to not have a good season, though? Dude, you see, you know Jimmy. He always wears protection. He's got his football pads. He's got his helmet. Jimmy's all about protection, <laughs> especially after last season. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh. Uh, okay, so if if the Niners are going to get to the playoffs and they're going to be a competitive team in the NFC West. They need to win in the division. They went 1-5 last year. They lost twice to the Cardinals. Their only victory came in overtime over Seattle, which I know is a big victory beating the Seahawks, but they need to come out and beat these teams in their division. They need to win some games. They can't get blown out by the Rams twice if they're going to be a playoff team. 1-5 is not going to cut it. At least 3-3, three three, if not better. So finally, let's wrap up the NFC West and the NFL Divisional Preview Series by talking about who or what will determine a successful season for the Seattle Seahawks. It's really the same thing, but improving on the playoff position from last year. Yeah, they made the wild card uh, round, but they, they end up losing to the Cowboys. And, and I'm not sure if they can improve on that, like you said, Corey, because they didn't really do much this offseason. Uh, but... Maybe if Tyler Lockett can step up and become a true number one receiver, then that's huge for them. But it's really all about uh, protecting Russell Wilson and making sure he can stay uh, an elite quarterback in the league. I, I don't know. This I don't feel like the Seahawks are um, aspiring to all that much at this point. Like they're they're a good football program. Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson have great job security. I think if they make the playoffs again, even if they go like one and done, they can just be like, all right, whatever. We had a good year. We're still good at football. You know, let's wait until another crop of rookies comes in and plays elite and then we'll win another Super Bowl then. Just as long as we keep this thing just 
steer in the right direction, I think they'll be happy with that. Yeah, and they're they're basically running it back on a team that went ten and six and got in the playoffs as a wild card last year. And if I look at last year's team, their defense was middle of the pack. They were sixteenth in total yards. That's not something we're used to with the Seahawks. But the reason why they're so successful was because they had the highest turnover differential in the league at plus fifteen. To me, it's turnovers. If they can continue to force turnovers and knowing Russell Wilson, he's going to continue to protect the ball. That's what it's going to take for Seattle to get back to the playoffs where they were and keep things up last season. Ever since Super Bowl 49 and that awful decision to throw at the one-yard line, ever since then, it's just been downhill for the Seahawks. I mean, yes, they continually made the playoffs year in, year in and year out, but it's never been the same ever since ever since that day. All right, so let's move on to our final segment, and that is the top five. And for every episode uh, during this NFL preview series, we have been doing a football theme. And this week, we're going to be counting down our favorite football players from TV shows and movies in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. All right, so I'll get us started today. And coming in at number five, Clay Harbor, uh, who is a, a free agent tight end in the NFL. He was a fourth-round draft pick at the Philadelphia Eagles in 2010. He's also played for the Jaguars, Saints, Lions, and Patriots. But more recently, he's known as a contestant on the Bachelor franchise where he was on the Bachelorette uh, in Becca's season and now in Bachelor in Paradise. He just seems like a super genuine guy, someone who all the fans uh, love to root for. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with him coming up because his ex-girlfriend is about to come on the show and he has a budding relationship forming with uh, one of the other contestants on the island. So maybe if things don't go a certain way with Clay, he won't be in my top five anymore. But for now, I'm a, I'm a big fan of him. And uh, with that, I, I'm going to move on. I, I see you guys shaking your heads. I'm sure a lot of the listeners are also shaking their heads at me for talking about The Bachelor for this long. So number four, Vince Howard from Friday Night Lights, quarterback for East Dillon Lions. And I could do a top five that's strictly players from Friday Night Lights, uh, I want to add a little bit of variety to make this somewhat more entertaining, especially for those who haven't seen the show. But Vince Howard comes in in season four at the end. Uh, coach Taylor has been uh, moved to the head coach of East Dillon, and things aren't looking so great for them. But he finds Howard on the streets, and he basically saves him. And with that, finds his uh, soon-to-be star quarterback. And Vince Howard is someone who, at the time, I was a pretty big fan of him. Really enjoyed him on the show. But he's just gotten bigger and bigger for me because of the actor who plays him. So, do either of you guys watch Friday Night Lights? I or have did not. you watch it? No, I did not. Okay. No. So, you probably don't know who Vince no. Howard is, but you certainly know the actor who plays him. That's Michael B. Jordan. And this was uh, one of his, his first big roles and really helped uh, vault his career to where he is now. So... Definitely a big fan of Vince Howard just for that because Michael B. Jordan is a fantastic actor. So number three, Rudy, Daniel Rudiger. It's my, my favorite football movie. And of course, he's a star of it. Just a real inspirational story. 
not a Notre Dame fan by any means, but I can't help but love this movie, love the story, just all the adversity he goes through, just to get accepted to Notre Dame, walk onto the football team, and of course get into a game, make a big sack, get carried off the field by his teammates. Rudy's a, a phenomenal movie that comes in as my number three. So, number two. Alex Moran, uh, who he is the the number two quarterback for Blue Mountain State at the beginning of the show, and he's totally fine with that, just wants to live that party college football lifestyle, and he makes it look like a really fun time. He eventually, uh, as he he gets older, becomes a sophomore, junior, becomes a starting quarterback for the GOATs, but big fan of Alex Moran. And before I move on, uh, just a, a fun fact. So Chris Romano, Romanski, the, the co-creator of the show, the guy who plays Sam Cac- Sammy Cacciatore, actually graduated from the same high school as Brian and I, National High School South. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And i uh, huge fan of him. If, if we were doing more than just football players, just people from football TV shows, Sammy would certainly be in my top five since he's just a mascot. He's not eligible for this list. But uh, big shout out to him. Shout out to Chris Romano. And number one. QB1 for the Dillon Panthers, Matt Saracen, another Friday Night Lights, and you just can't help but love Saracen. The Dillon Panthers were looking like one of the best teams in not just Texas, but the entire country with star quarterback Jason Street. He gets hurt the first game of the season. Saracen comes in, seems like he's this lowly backup, yet he's able to lead Dillon to a state championship in the biggest high school football state in the country. Saracen, just an unbelievable character in the show. I've, I've just loved Matt. I love the relationship he has uh, caring for his grandmother and uh, someone who coached Taylor. Uh, it becomes a, a big fan of throughout the series. Matt eventually loses his quarterback job, but he's still able to contribute to the team as a wide receiver, proving that all he cares about is what he can do to help Dylan succeed on the field. He's bigger than just himself. So Matt Saracen... He's my number one on Friday Night Lights and my number one football player from TV shows and movies. When I was doing research for this one, it seemed like uh, being a fan of Friday Night Lights would have made it a lot easier. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) These guys are everywhere. People love Friday Night Lights. Uh, And it's more than just one guy, unlike a lot of other football movies where it ends up being like, well, you'll see. So my top five begins uh, <laughs> with Heinz Ward. And you might be saying, wait, that's a real football player. And you'd be correct, but he's also a fictional football player in <laughs> The Dark Knight Rises. And uh, he's the guy who returns the kickoff for a touchdown uh, before Bane takes over the city. Let the games and, begin. Uh, <laughs> yes and it's an epic return he's a he's a very talented player and it's really a shame that all of his friends died uh because obviously it would have been nice to be close friends with such a brilliant kick returner so uh heinz ward comes in at number five on my top five list and if that's number five you can probably tell where this list is headed um because i actually believe it or not i love football I haven't seen that many football movies um Number four, coming in at number four. Now, this guy is an absolute football icon. A lot of people, uh, when especially with kicking, they it's very iconic to think of this guy when you think of 
uh, kicking a football uh, or attempting a kick at least. And of course, you know, I'm talking about Charlie Brown, uh, who is very famous for trying really hard to kick a football and never getting to do it. It always gets swiped out from in front of him. Hilarious, um, you know, botched special teams plays are always fun to watch. Uh, so Charlie Brown, obviously an icon and honestly an inspiration for those type of plays um, across the league. So Charlie Brown comes in at my number four. Coming in at number three is Johnny Utah in uh, the movie Point Break, the original one. I haven't seen the new one, but I already know the original is better. And th this is actually played by... Do you guys know who Johnny Utah is, by the way? Have you seen Point Break? No. No. I... Uh, I think you know who his uh, who he is though. He's um, he's more recently going by John Wick. Oh, uh, Keanu Reeves. That's right. Um, <laughs> so this is a kind of a similar role for him. It's like a shoot 'em up action movie kind of. Uh, but Johnny Utah became. I think he's an FBI agent. He's in an FBI or CIA. But he joins. He becomes law enforcement because he gets a uh, career-ending injury playing football for. I think it's Ohio State. Mm -hmm. And he uh, he actually. Uh, I really commend him for the method acting he did for this role because, or maybe not method acting, but just getting into character because there's a scene where they're playing football on the beach and Johnny Utah does a play action handoff. That's very convincing. Like a, someone taught him how to do play action. It wasn't just like a here, take it psych. You know, it was, he, he stuck his hand out and he hid the ball behind his back in a, in a actual like play action sequence. I was impressed. And to uh, stop the game-winning touchdown from happening, Johnny Utah broke through five blockers to chase down the ball carrier to, to tackle him. Yes. So a pass was completed. Johnny Utah was nowhere near the ball. He had to run and bust through five blockers, but just basically bulldoze them. And he still caught up to the ball carrier and made the tackle. And uh, it was super epic. And Johnny Utah... Maybe you should have stuck with football. That didn't look career-ending to me. Uh, number That was my number three. My number two is Bobby Boucher from The Waterboy. To be honest with you guys, it's been a long time since I've seen The Waterboy, but Adam Sandler is hilarious in this movie. Or, <laughs> I don't even know if I can go that far. He was hilarious when I saw it as a kid, uh, and Bobby Boucher is an absolute animal on the football field. Uh, he even gets referenced in a Kanye West song when he's go he's talking about wiling out. He says, I'm going to go Bobby Boucher. Uh, and just for, purely for the iconicness of being a fictional football player, I got to throw Bobby Boucher in there. And then number one, Forrest Gump. And uh, this is also just a salute to this is this isn't even the first time Forrest Gump has appeared on any of my top five lists, but just another salute to a fantastic movie and a really good another good special teams player uh, because Forrest Gump can really, really uh, run, believe it or not. Uh, so he goes in at my number one spot that uh, that special teams player for Alabama. I was actually in Pittsburgh when uh, the, the Heinz Ward Dark Knight Rises scene was filmed. What? That was pretty cool. That's yeah, awesome. yeah, August 2011. It was cool. I was there for a family reunion, and uh, everyone else was there to film a movie. All right. So, in my list at number five, I will also go with another Adam Sandler football movie, but it is not Waterboy. It is The Longest Yard and his character in Paul Crew, where he plays a former uh, disgraced quarterback that ends up going to jail because of drunk driving, and at at the prison that he was at, uh, he ends up setting a game with 
him and the warden end up setting a game uh, with the guards versus the the cons. And what I love about Paul Crew or Adam Sandler in this movie is all the uh, the bonds he ended up making with with his teammates and made it seem like it was a real family. And so I went with Adam Sandler as Paul Crew as my number five. And my number four, I went with Michael Orr in The Blind Side. And for anyone who doesn't know who Michael Orr is, he is actually a offensive lineman in the NFL, maybe former, former offensive lineman now in the NFL, who played for the Ravens and the Panthers. And before he did, he was um, he was homeless and did not really have a family growing up, but he was brought in by a woman named Leanne. Leanne Tui and uh, she raised Michael along with the rest of her family and because of that Michael Orr was given the opportunity to play football at his uh, at his prep school in high school and became one of the best offensive linemen in the country and the blind side in my opinion is like one of the it's a very inspiring football movie if anyone hasn't seen it and I'd recommend it to anyone uh who's a fan of movies so i would i put michael orr as my number four uh my number three you've already heard before uh from Corey's list i went with daniel rudy rudiger in the movie rudy and it rudy is also another very inspiring movie and like Corey said i'm not a notre dame fan whatsoever but just the story and all the adversities he went through just to get into notre dame and become part of the football team and I, and the fact that he was like five, again, five foot nothing, hundred nothing, and didn't really have much athletic abilities, but because of all the heart and soul and hard work he put in, he got a spot on the team, and by the very end, he even got to play a snap, as play a couple snaps as well, and another very inspiring movie, and foot, great football movie. So I went with Rudy as my number three, my number two. Kind of staying on the same path, uh, I went with Vince Papali in the movie Invincible. Uh, Vince Papali is played by Mark Wahlberg. He is a and he was a bartender in the city of Philadelphia. Who, in his late twenties, early thirties, he ended up trying out for the Eagles and made the team. And not only did he make, the, not only did he make the team for training camp, but he ended up making the official roster and had some really good years. Uh, on the special teams for the Eagles for, for a number of years and another very inspiring movie. So I went with Vince Papali as my number two and my number one, uh, I've, I've put him on my list before of top fives and you've already heard it as a number one. I went with Forrest Gump. Uh, I've already talked before that Forrest Gump is probably my favorite movie and Tom Hanks is probably my favorite actor, but I just love, I just love how he got on the Alabama football team he was getting chased by these bullies. He ends up running on the, onto the field, and then he ends up making the team. And like all the coaches, like, "Who the heck is that guy?" Oh, that's that man's Forrest Gump. Like, oh, just a local idiot. And they ends up being one of the being, ends up being an All American in <laughs> on the kick return team. I, I can only imagine what if let's say he was a real person and he he ended up being sought out by Nick Saban, like Clemson would have no chance in the national championship games. Forrest Gump would win MVP every single year uh, until he graduates. But uh, So I went with Forrest Gump as my number one on favorite players 
fake players <laughs> or characters in uh, uh on my list i thought for sure your number five was gonna be burt reynolds portrayal of paul crew not adam sandler one i'm sure there's gonna be a lot of people disappointed if they've seen that original movie yeah I, i've never seen the original and so i and i i, really I haven't like, either i but... really like the adam sandler version and Another honorable mention, since Ben mentioned it with Keanu Reeves, I did like him as Shane Falco in The Replacements as well. Another great movie. Yeah, so I knew that he did that. I didn't know that he played another quarterback in Johnny Utah, though. You guys got to see Point Break. It's such a good movie. There are so many football movies. I knew you talked about that. I was like, wow, there are all these movies, all these like characters, and I have no idea who any of them are because I've never seen them. So, Well... I it's a stretch to call Point Break a football movie, but it does star a football player, and there is a scene where they play football. So it's a football movie, I think. That's that's all that matters, right? And and Die Hard's a Christmas movie too, right? <laughs> all right, so that will wrap things up for today's episode. The AFC West and NFC West preview. With that, that's the end of our NFL series. Uh, so if you haven't listened to some of the others go back and give them a listen now get caught up in all of our thoughts across the divisions and we look forward to talking to you more as the regular season gets underway soon so for my co-hosts benjamin carlson and brian wells i'm Corey navani thanks everyone